Welcome to Ramble by the River. I am your host, Jeff Michael. Although the voice you are hearing now sounds like me, it is actually generated by a computer that has listened to me talking enough to create a pretty convincing copy of my voice. This seems like a risky thing to make, but it sure is cool. The robots have got us now. We are fucked. While we wait for the inevitable apocalypse that will surely put an end to life as we know it, we might as well enjoy ourselves with a nice podcast. Ramble till I die, motherfuckers. I could really use a change of scenery. Yeah. Everybody's smoking all the greenery. Yeah. Close the match because they were handed down to me. But I'm still fly. I'm still fly. I know. I'm still fly. I'm still fly. Let's go. It could all be worse. I could be a hater like you. Chest now, say it with your chest I'm now. Young, yeah, I'm I'm free. Okay, great. Um, Can't nobody yeah. take me. So, I'll just start with. Um, okay, well, first of all, welcome guys to another episode of Ramble by the River. I am joined today in the studio with Tiffany Turner. So, oh, actually, is it Tiffany Oaks Turner or Tiffany Turner? Legally, it's Tiffany Turner. Okay. And thanks so much for having me. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a pleasure. I'm. I'll be honest. Like I'm a little bit nervous. Well, it's, I am as well. More nervous than I expected to be because I like to talk. You're pretty much a local celebrity. Um, probably because I put my foot in my mouth too much, which I'm also nervous about here. But <laughs> I do the same thing. Yeah. I have a habit of that. But um, I think that's kind of a not necessarily a bad thing, especially yeah. in small towns. You got to take risks if you want to make things better or exactly you know, make changes at all. Yeah. I would see that as a positive. The nerves are a weird thing to manage. Like even people who I've thought would be completely just solid chill have been actually more nervous i had a buddy in here the other day who's very gregarious uh easy to talk to and he was nervous and it was like kind of a surprise but uh and it went fine everything it's um it's just hard to know how people will react i think it's the the extra pressure of knowing that it's gonna go out in the world yeah, you never know who's going to hear it, and and it's going to be there forever. Yeah, I also I I'm oddly nervous when I public speak. Uh-huh. Sometimes my voice shakes when I do interviews or things like that. So I was like, I hope my voice. You know, I don't think it will. You're pretty comfortable to talk to, which is nice. Good. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's I've been getting that feedback a lot. People yeah. people don't mind too much talking to me. It's doesn't seem too scary. Right. But yeah, my... and the space is lovely. So well, thank you. It chills thank you out. You. Yeah. Yeah. Try try to make it a kind of a comfortable environment to have a conversation which is really all this show is is just like i'd like to get to know you and sure. let let the audience get to know you as well because we've actually i don't even know if we've ever just sat down and talked we haven't i don't think we yeah i i feel like i know you just through everyone around because sure. you're very involved in the community and we're practically family right exactly <laughs> uh, which is pretty interesting how, how did that come about anyway with we want to talk about that relationship a little bit sure yeah absolutely um, well, when I was a teacher, my degree is in elementary education, and I was taught for two and a half years before I had Jaden. Oh, before wow. we where opened. did you teach? Hilltop. I did not realize that. Kelly Jacobson was my mentor teacher. Okay. And still is one of my mentors. She was amazing. That's really cool. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah. When she was in Scotland, I was at Hilltop. Oh. So she, we taught together for a year, and then she was gone. Okay. Um, 
so I taught Brooke's older sister, Ariel. Okay. And Brooke she was- is my sister-in-law, by the way, my, my brother's wife, friend of the show. Yeah. And uh, she would run into my room every morning, Brooke would, and just give me a hug. She loved me. And so we had this, you know, cute relationship. And uh, I never actually taught her. But then when we opened, well, no, we had opened the inn prior to that. But when she was in high school, probably 13 or 14, she'll have to clarify, uh, she started working for us. So we, you know, anytime we would see each other as she was growing up, I, you know, we'd talk and we just had an, an instant connection. So she started working for us at the inn in housekeeping. And then um, she started babysitting for the boys. And they loved her, kind of like a big sister. And then um, as she as she went off to college, she would spend, she would house it for us in the summers or, you know, watch the boys. And, you know, there was one summer, I think it was after her freshman year of college, you know, she had some struggles. She would come back home and she had some struggles. Her parents were going through a lot. And Brady and I were in Seattle and she was house sitting. And I remember we were on a long walk. I remember exactly where we were. We were at Ballard Locks and she just called me bawling and, you know, explained the situation. And I was like, hey, live here this summer. So from then on, you know, she was like family, like family. I've I've often referred to her as our not daughter, but we're only like 12 years apart. So I now realize she's just more like a little sister. Uh And so, yeah, we have a pretty fantastic relationship. She's one of my favorite Favorite humans on the planet. Yeah, she is a wonderful human. And she seems to really think the same thing about you and, and your parents. She yeah. talks very highly of everyone in your family. It's, it's pretty interesting, uh, kind of cool dynamic. It is. She I mean, has a little extra extended family. Yeah. And now she lives right down the road from my parents. So yeah, it's that's great. Cool. So did you grow up in that house that she's living in now? What's I, I, get, I forget whose house is whose. So. so I lived in one house my whole childhood, oh, the wow. house my parents live in. Okay. My parents are super, super cool. They went to a garage sale. They were unmarried, and they ended up buying the house. And my mom tells the story that she cried. Like, she had a tiny bit of savings. They were both fishing at the time. And uh, and she cried the entire day because she had, you know, spent all of her money on this house. Mm-hmm. But then they, you know, they, they remodeled it when I was in third grade. We lived with another local family while that was happening. And so then um, the where the houses that Brady and I built that now Brooke and Jake own, we, we built that. Well, my parents purchased the property from neighbors mm-hmm. that we called Grandma Katie and Grandpa Jack, even though there was no relation. So in their retirement, they started buying the property back so that Jack and Katie would have more of a retirement. Oh, okay. And so when they passed, my parents owned the property at that point they let brady and i build a house on it they gifted it to us to build that's a, a house cool on. house it's a cool house that's so really we built cool that house, house. Oh, yeah. okay so i i knew you had some kind of connection to it yeah it's beautiful yeah and the boys grew up there you know uh-huh. driving the tractors back and forth to grandma and grandpa's you probably have similar situation as mm-hmm. melissa's parents are so close yeah it's it's wonderful really yeah. it's, it's i can't even express enough how blessed we are to have that yeah just have in-laws right down half a mile down the road from our house and it's it makes the whole Chinook feel kind of like our turf. Yeah, your backyard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's nice. And now Jetty gets to do the same thing. She'll yeah. run up to Grandma and Grandpa's, and mm-hmm. yeah, she's getting big. She is getting big. So your parents were in the fishing industry. So what what were the details there? Were they did they own a boat or did they what were their fishing connections? Um, yeah, so they met here on the peninsula. But my dad graduated from college at Linfield. Oh. I think he was going to go into marine biology. 
at one point he was going to be a doctor, and then I think he ended up settling on marine biology. My grandpa was a doctor. My dad's from the Bay Area. Mm. And he, short story that I understand, and I probably got some of the details wrong, is he moved here, fell in love with fishing, fell in love with my mom. My grandpa helped finance a boat at that point in time. Um, They bought a boat, I think in Texas, and took it through the Panama Canal. And I think I was conceived on that boat oh, trip. Wow. <laughs> and uh, and then they fished together for a while. And then, you know, my mom had Jared and I and my dad kept fishing. So he retired from fishing two years ago, sold his boat. Oh, okay. Which was very hard for him. Oh, I bet. Was he, was it because he just got too old? Was he, did he need to be done for no, some reason? No, he's forever young. That's, I think yeah. that um, my mom was ready to be done. Ah, yeah. And uh, he he had been fishing in Alaska really since I was in college. And so he was gone a lot, you know, depending on what he was tendering for a while and then fishing for spot prawns. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so I think, and she, uh, once Jared and I graduated from high school, she spent a lot of time fishing with him. And I think she was like, nah, I'm I'm done. And there was some encouragement there. But he still, he went up and fished the following fall on somebody else's boat. And then he hasn't gone up since, but he, you know, dabbles in the cranberries and other mm-hmm. things. And, I mean, he'll keep himself busy forever. Did you ever do any fishing? No. Me My neither. brother did. Oh, yeah? Was it a big part of his youth? It's funny. I've talked about this with a couple of people recently. I think I never showed an ounce of interest. Did you have an ounce of interest or just no. not at all? Yeah. No. When I was in sixth grade and my brother was in fifth grade, they pulled us out of school for the fall semester and... They bought a second boat with Jeff and Sue Freeze, and we lived in Louisiana for a month while they converted the boat to something I don't remember what, and then we took it through the Panama Canal. Wow. Yeah. Super cool. What was cool. it like to live in Louisiana for a month? <laughs> it was it was fun. I mean, I remember we went to a, my brother and I went to a Sir Mix-a-Lot concert. Oh, cool. And we sang in a karaoke bar on Bourbon Street. Wow. Yes. <laughs> And it was during it was during Halloween, mm-hmm. and the haunted houses in Louisiana are insane. I bet. So we got to go through all these haunted houses. It was really fun. And then, but at, um, at that point, Christmas Eve, we went through the pa- Panama Canal, and on Christmas Eve, we flew. My mom, my brother, and I flew to California to spend Christmas with my dad's family. All my cousins, all my aunt, aunts and uncles were there, and then my dad went to. The South Pacific, and he was gone for six months, and that oh, wow. was like pretty formative. And that was the longest my dad had been gone in my childhood, and it was hard. And I think that may play into why I never showed an interest in fishing. It also may be that I was a pretty social kid and uh-huh. didn't really want to be isolated on an ocean for. Yeah, I can't say I blame you on that one. Yeah, I, I never got into it either, and I always had like somewhat of opportunities to get involved just growing up here, but it uh, the idea of being trapped on a boat for any amount of time, gives me anxiety like crazy. Yeah. Um, and I do get seasick. That doesn't really bother me so much. Um, but it's just the idea of not being being able to leave when you want to leave. That sounds right. really hard. But I imagine you get used to it. Yeah, I mean, my dad, I mean, he loves it. It's his, I haven't listened to the full last podcast that you dropped, but just the first, like, 10 minutes, actually, mm-hmm. on the way here. And, and it, I mean, he loves the sea. It's his. Yeah. Yeah. It's his I, I was talking to Jeff Hilton the other yeah. day and also JJ on that podcast about just how you have to love it to be in it all the way. You really got to love it because it's so hard and yeah. you have to sacrifice a lot to do it. So if you don't love it, you it'll break you. Yep. And if you do love it, I don't think you can get away from it. Yeah. I yeah. mean, at least in you know my experience mm-hmm. as just the daughter of a fisherman. Hooks you and pulls you in. Yep. 
No pun intended. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you're, I, I was a middle school track coach, and I had one of your children on my track team, and he was a natural athlete. Mm-hmm. And it, it made me wonder, did you do sports? Were you athletic as a kid? Um, so I was very strong. I'm also like a bull in a china shop. I don't have great coordination. Um, so, but I was like pretty small and I was the base on a really great cheerleading team that Owako had. Yeah. Um, and, but Brady is naturally athletic. He can pick anything up. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember we went skiing when we were in high school and he decided that morning, he's like, yeah, I want to snowboard instead. Never snowboarded, put a snowboard on and was going down black diamonds that day. Wow. I tried to snowboard on our honeymoon mm-hmm. at Whistler, and at the end of two days, I still couldn't make a turn, and I was done. <laughs> yeah, it's not easy. No. That stuff is slippery as hell. But it comes easy for all three boys in my family, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, so. some people just are naturally balanced. I don't I yep. don't get it. I am not that way. Yep. I've been skiing one time, and I dislocated my knee. <laughs> it bends completely sideways. Uh, well, yeah, no, nah, I don't want to do that anymore. Well, when I was snowboarding, the thing that made me stop actually on the end of that second day, now I realize is I think I dislocated somebody else's knee. Oh, mm-hmm. broke your fall? Yeah, no. accidentally. <laughs> he was trying to pass me, to be fair. Uh, well, that son of a bitch <laughs> <Yeah>. deserved it. <laughs> I felt really bad. I was like, okay, I'm putting my skis back on because I skied since I was a little kid. So Yeah. Yeah, one time I was ice skating and I also couldn't stop. Yeah, I don't know how they do that. It's you got to have strong ankles, I think. I don't yeah, know. But I took out a whole pack of small Asian girls, um, <laughs> probably five or six of them at least. Just wiped them all out. It's terrible. Just couldn't stop. They couldn't yeah. hear me screaming. So yeah. Jaden gets. I mean, both the boys. They. I would say they get their athleticism from their father. Mm, okay. Well. I mean, there's a lot of athleticism in my extended family. I and you know I like to run i'm not not athletic but i'm you know not athletically gifted at i've all. seen you running we've crossed each other on the discovery trail running many times actually yeah. uh, a few years ago when i was training for a marathon i, I used to see you out there running um right by your your hotel and restaurant actually yeah. which is uh, something i wanted to cover a little bit you have been i mean i haven't looked at your books but from <laughs> the appearance on the outside massively successful in business and you know, beyond just your own personal success, and I'm sure you have a lot of great people around you to make that happen, seems like the success has kind of overflowed into the entire community. And it seems like the community has really benefited from having that establishment. I would even say, like, in combination with the addition of the world mark, it mm-hmm. kind of, like, upped the game for tourism for the whole area. And I, I think a lot of people would probably agree that the Adrift becoming so su- – I mean, it was a restaurant before. Yeah. Um, it was a hotel before. It's not like you, you opened a brand new thing, but something about the way that you did it just clicked and took off. And it, and it seemed just like, I don't know, you did something that was magic and it, and it really worked. How did all that come about? Where did it come from? Well, um, <laughs> I think a lot of, a lot of, you know, opportunity of people before us and a, and, a lot of happenstance and taking taking advantage of opportunities that were given to us. But backstory is Brady and I met when we were 12. I came back from that trip from Louisiana and the Panama Canal. I had been out of school in sixth grade for um, in Mr. Schoner's class for the full fall semester. And he at that point moved from Okanagan. His two older brothers, one had just gotten married and the other one had graduated, <clears throat> excuse me, from from high school. Um, he's the baby. So he's 10 years younger than his oldest brother and seven years younger than his middle brother. And his parents 
didn't tell him, but took him on a trip to the ocean that fall, and they were planning a move. And oh, wow. he grew up in Okanagan, and his brothers were the basketball stars, and he was the ball boy and, you know, was going to go on to do all the things in Okanagan. So that, I think, November, they were like, hey, we're moving to the beach. And he, he at was— At 12? At 12. He Ooh, wasn't— That's a tough age. Yeah, yeah he, was, he was pretty bad. Um, but they were moving because they wanted to buy what was Boardwalk Cottages— um, oh, okay. It was it was uh, it's right across from the movie theater in town, and it was rundown apartments at the time. I'm pretty sure a couple of them probably should have been condemned, mm-hmm. but they lived in a fifth wheel, and remodeled all of the apartments into little cottages, and then lived on site. So, from 12 on, um, he helped his parents kind of run that business and grew up in that business. And I mean, when we were in high school, he would design athletic shoes. When we were in college, he like created a tech business with a friend. He's just... He's a go-getter. He's just... Yeah, he's a brilliant mind Um, and always has new ideas. So when we moved back after college, I don't think that I really knew that that's what our path was. I think he definitely knew that the path was that he would open a business of some kind in hospitality. And my parents, basically, we were 23. I don't know if I was pregnant with Jaden yet or not, but they were like, hey, we'll... We'll remortgage our house to buy a piece of property. We want you guys to take care of us in retirement. So they basically remortgaged their house, and we bought the property that the Inn of Discovery Coast is on. Sorry, my parents bought the property that mm-hmm. the Inn of Discovery Coast is on. And they gave us the title to the property and said, now go build your business. Take care of us when we're old. Exactly, exactly. And uh, so we took a business plan and a deed to a piece of property to the Bank Pacific. And this was 2003. And um, basically, it wasn't this easy, but, you know, both of our parents had been banking there for a long time, and they, based off of that deed, and we both had good jobs. I was teaching, and Brady was running an insurance company, Knutson Insurance, and they loaned us a million dollars to build the inn. Wow. So, um, Shout out Bank of the Pacific. I know, right? <laughs> I, don't, I think regulations wouldn't make it that easy now, but basically, yeah. um, it was pretty amazing, and we built a house on site. Um, and so when we opened, our business plan basically said one of us needed to keep working outside the home and one of us needed to work at the business. Well, I had a nursing nine month old at the point we opened. So I got made to, that easy. Yeah, it made it easy. So Jaden and I ran the inn while Brady continued to work insurance for a few months. We quickly got busier than we anticipated. And about three months into it, he was able to also come work at the business. Wow, that's quick. It was really quick, quicker than we anticipated. We're a good team. And Seems so like so um, so then that was pretty successful at that point. At, at a point, I was pregnant with Beckett, and we were like, we can't run this like romantic tourism destination while we have two screaming mm-hmm. children while we answer the phone. Because I was doing everything from making breakfast baskets and running them to rooms to cleaning showers. And we had one part-time employee at that time, and she still works for us now. At the same um, place? Well, she works at the front desk. But and So is this, the Inn at Discovery Coast, is that the one that's just right down there in the, in the dunes, basically, in yep. front of a drift? Yep. It's got like three stories or yep. four stories? Yep. Is it three? It's three stories, and then there's a little house Okay. that has three more rooms in it, and that's where we lived. Oh, okay. So basically, then we were like, we got to move off site. That this place is, is great. Yeah, it's I've great. I stayed there with Melissa just for like a romantic getaway. We loved it. It's yeah. really good. It's funny. I think we, at the time, you know, we were married and it was like our dream and then we quickly had kids and it was like oh this doesn't work with our kids so we moved off site to brooke and jake's house uh-huh. and then brady was on a lodging tax so then it was 
that was in like 2004. And then in 2008, I think Brady was on a lodging tax advisory committee meeting, which is taxes that we charge to guests, then go to the city to basically do marketing or do work to get more heads in beds is what they call it Mm -hmm. to basically increase tourism um, and increase the tax base. So the Visitors Bureau at the time came to this committee and said, we want to exclude the Edgewater from from the occupancy rates because they skew it so low. They had so many rooms and their mm-hmm. occupancy rates were so low. The That's visitors, a big place. Yeah, it's big. There's 80, 82 rooms. I think there were 84 at the time. Um, they wanted to exclude it. I might be getting too technical. I'll try and hurry. You can cut this out. Oh, no. We have, we have plenty of time. <laughs> go ahead and go detail. So he came home and he was like, Let's buy the Edgewater. And I was like, you're fucking crazy, <laughs> which is how most conversations in our relationships start when it comes to like his crazy ideas, which mm-hmm. are brilliant ideas. And then about 24 hours later, I'm like, all right, how are we going to do it? So then we really started talking brass tacks. And we, on our 10-year anniversary, we went back to Whistler, which is where we had our honeymoon. And part of what we did on that anniversary trip was write the business plan oh, for the fun. Edgewater. It was really fun. We, <laughs> I mean, know, for you, that actually seems like it could have been romantic. You guys are really go-getters. We didn't only write the business plan. I'm sure you did. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we had a great time. And we came back. And then it was like during the recession. And that must have been scary. Yeah. I mean, we pivoted. And just kind of like this most recent you know, year, we still had business and we were still doing well and but our local bank was like well you can run a 12 room in that doesn't mean you can run an 84 room in and lending practices had changed but we ended up persevering or just continuing to to bug them and we were able to get a an sba backed loan to do a drift so the first loan was before the housing market crash probably okay yeah Yeah. when they were just handing them out like hard candy kind of yeah so it was a lot harder that second time around and i mean i think um to answer i guess your original question i never intended to go into entrepreneurship it's not something i ever thought about growing up in a fishing family it obviously was easy to transition to like not knowing what my paycheck was going to be because i realized that's how i grew up right yeah. you know you, you you don't know and um so it was an easy transition to make but my kind of what makes me tick has always been like community impact i mean my degrees in education i love kids i love making things better and and so it was interesting as we switched into this role now where we're managing a lot of people brady's an introvert and it was quickly apparent that he was like i don't want to have anything to do with like the actual operating the thing i just want to have the idea (laughs) and and so so that's when we kind of really started to realize what our roles were. and So you guys complement each other personality-wise mm-hmm. very well, it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, we do. And I think we've, like, grown, and it, you know, it hasn't always been easy, but it, we've grown into recognizing each other's strengths and really playing off of those, both, like, professionally and personally. So for me, it was about impact. Like, how can we do this and make money, obviously, but how can we, like, not just do it to extract something from the community how can we get back how can we you know hopefully help our employees grow how can we do things a little bit differently and so i think a little bit of of that is you know that lens yeah and that that attitude is really visible through what you guys have created like when you go in there you can sense it that there's people behind the scenes here who really care about the experience of being here and just the whole overall picture you have implemented a 15%, I think, uh, automatic tip yep. for your employees. 
uh, which I think is a really cool idea. Thanks. And I'm sure you've had pushback and support both. Yep. Uh, what, <laughs> what prompted that, and do you think it has been a successful idea? Um, so we had been talking about kind of with, a, with my management team for a long time about how to implement a more fair and I say more fair, more being the critical word there because I don't think it is completely equitable, way to um, compensate employees. Tipping, you can do a lot of research on tipping, but it is a sexist, racist, very biased practice. Yeah, very open to implicit bias. Yeah, absolutely. So um, so we had been, you know, we had talked about tip pooling, which is something that Fort George does. At the time that we were kind of having these discussions, tip pooling had a pretty significant legal challenge in the Supreme Court. Oh, what so, was that? Um, basically, it was, I think, and don't quote me if I'm wrong, because it's been a while, but it was somebody was challenging the fact that you couldn't basically pool tips. That this was, you oh, know, okay. you got the tip, it was your money. And tip pooling is a practice where all the, all the money goes into one pot and you share the tip. Still, you know, there's a bias there because the person getting the tip it may not be based on their actual service. Yeah. Also in a lot of states, not Washington, but your total compensation includes your tips. So there are oh. states where minimum wage may be 10 bucks an hour, but and there are quite a few states, but uh, minimum wage for servers is like two bucks an hour. I've, yeah, I've wondered about that. It's terrible. It seems like it would be illegal. And so, I mean, there's a book out there called Forked. There's a lot of conversations around, you know, how do we make restaurants a more fair place to work also you have a front of house back of house divide so at the time and i think we implemented it in 2017 at the time you know it was typical that your kitchen would make minimum wage and you know then your servers make minimum wage plus Mm -hmm. tips and our you know our restaurants have high ticket sales so servers would be making 30 bucks an hour and your kitchen's making 11 bucks an hour Mm. Um, and you can, you know, ask them to tip out, but it still is very inequitable. Plus, so, that's probably n- not an easy thing to ask. Right, right. So we had a bunch of conversations, did a bunch of analysis, and figured out that what our average tip probably was and figured out how to, if we were to implement this living wage fee, how to share that amongst all front of house and back of house via initially we did it via just a wage increase so at that point servers were making between 28 and 24 dollars an hour when we initially implemented it based off of you know this pot of money that we expected would come in and back of house was making between 14 and 20 bucks an hour not managed non-management wages um and so you asked if it worked if it was a success i think that to varying degrees, yes. I think that we feel strongly that we wouldn't want to go back to what it was because it is more fair. I mean, and we've had employees who couldn't afford child support because, you know, they would spend their tips. Yeah. And and then, you know, they they had their license revoked and all of a the sudden they were able to, like, actually see a real paycheck that wasn't just all taxes taken out because of mm-hmm. their tips. And, you know, all of a sudden child support was taken out and they were able to get their license back. I mean, it was it was significantly different. So I think it's worked. I think that, you know, the reality is a lot of servers probably would make more money if they got all the tip. Do, do people still tip? I mean, I'm, yeah, I know they do. Yeah, but. so so we've initially we tried to not let people tip and uh-huh. we took the tip line off. 
And servers got mad and some patrons got mad mm-hmm. because but we didn't want to be like, hey, we're going to charge 18 percent and then the and there. then pay a tip. But since we've worked with our actually our POS system to figure out how to really outline the fact that like your tip is already in this and there's like a line that's like additional tip, you know. And so, yeah, the servers still make good tips. It is still not an equitable system. The servers make a lot more money than anybody yeah. else. But it's, that's a tricky thing to deal with, though, because there's expectations coming from the patrons. Right. Like where it's I can see that being a problem. Like if you put on the bottom a tip line and say, hey, this is optional. There's like, well, aren't all tips optional? Right. Like it's it's <laughs> yeah, it's complicated, but it seems it seems like a good idea. I think our next step, I think the thing that makes patrons, I mean, there are, there's a probably our target market, which are people from Portland and Seattle, like understand it. There's a lot of restaurants and cities that are doing this. There's some that have done it and then switched back because of the backlash. But I think also COVID is going to change a lot of that because restaurants have been hardest hit. So there's a lot of conversations happen, happening nationally about wages and things like that. But I think we would like to roll it into food cost so that it's actually like... The messaging is, hey, all of our staff get living wages. You don't need to tip, mm-hmm. period. And if you want to, you can do the additional tip. Yeah, We've had to really refine our food costs to make sure that we're able to capture all of it. I think we're kind of there. And we almost, when we had to shut down this last time, did it. And then basically my management staff was like, we don't want to have to make any more changes when staff comes back. This year has been hard enough. Mm-hmm. And I was like, heard. <laughs> like, let's keep it. As yeah. is for now. Yeah, it seems like restaurants in general had a really rough, hard yeah. year. But I, I imagine you guys, being that you source a lot of local ingredients and you, you try really hard to, to get good stuff to serve at your restaurant, that must have been a particularly hard thing to do this year. Yeah, this year's been quite a roller coaster of, you know, business I'm glad emotions. You guys are still making it. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, that's pure dumb luck. We have an ocean that is easy to socially distance. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think the hospitality industry in general has been really hard hit. And our local area was really hard hit to begin with when everything shut down. But once everything was able to open back up, the rebound was pretty swift. Not easy and mm-hmm. not as much for restaurants as it was for hotels. But, you know, our it's not necessarily good business practices but our restaurants we look at them as an amenity we don't really make any money off of them that's not the goal um the goal is that it's an amenity to our to our hotel guests so making sure that we're providing that maybe eventually they'll make a buck but that's that's interesting i never never thought of it that way but that's that allows you to kind of put your energy where the to the most you know needed place yeah that makes sense. Uh, oh, yeah. There's, so you guys have a distillery there as well now. Mm-hmm. What, can we hear a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah. Um, future guest, Matt Lesnow. He should definitely come on. So. Matt, you are welcome to come on the show anytime <laughs> you want. Hit me up, and I will put it on the calendar. So we hired Matt's, at the time, fiance, Keisha, to come do our marketing in twenty. 20- 15. Time um, flies. Hard to I know. Remember. So it's been a while. She's since grown. She's a C-level employee in our company. But at the same time, I remember interviewing her in Seattle. She was working for Amazon. Matt was working for Boeing. Matt grew up here. I think yeah, you he probably know. Yeah, he was a class ahead of me in school. He yeah. A friend of mine. So um, I was like, hey, Matt, what are you going to do? Because they're moving down. And I think they just wanted a slower kind of pace of life. And his family was here and his parents, you know, he wanted to help take care of them. And he's like, I don't know, maybe open a bar or I'd really love one day to open a distillery. And at the time we were looking for a bar manager and I don't, I don't know that Matt had ever worked in a bar, but he was 
that's extremely competent and I think one of He's my very charismatic and yeah. easy to talk to. Yeah. And one of my like best skill sets is finding good people and, you know, holding on to them. I think that's like why our business is successful. It's not Brady and I necessarily. It's all the amazing people behind it. So I was like, well, come be our bar manager. And if you still want to open a distillery, we'll figure it out after a year. And because we had always we love McMenamins. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's like it's a fun experience to go to a vacation somewhere and then, you know, you get to eat out on property and then you can go taste booze, whatever it is. So we had kind of always talked around that idea, but Brady and I don't know distilling and we weren't going to learn. So it was hard to consider. And so anyway, Matt managed the bar. He did a great job. A year and a half later, we figured out how to open a distillery. There were a lot of hurdles with equipment and things like that. But, but I mean, Matt just does a phenomenal job and, and, you know, he and I meet weekly for about a half an hour. But other than that, he just he runs the place, and Jacob does a great job, and they're a great team. And Cool. Yeah, it's a lot of fun, and they make they make good booze. Yeah, I've been really impressed with just how fast it's grown, too. Yeah. It's, it seems like you guys just broke ground. And I know. And now it's, I'm seeing regular posts from, from Matt and Jacob about, like, releasing new products and things like that. It's pretty exciting. Yeah, they, I mean, with the stuff that they make, it's all locally sourced. It's cool, com- you know, cool companies the grain comes from. I mean, they're doing it right, and they deserve all the credit. So do do they have pretty much autonomy when it comes to deciding what they're going to make? Yeah. I mean, they run it by me. We talk about the numbers. Um, obviously, now we've, we're in year three, so the numbers kind of are helping guide that. Oh, yeah. Um, we can't keep brown booze in stock. Oh, because so people like it more? People, well, yeah. I mean, but it also takes a while to age it. So oh, we're, okay. See, I don't really know much about it at all. Okay. So. The brown stuff takes longer. Is that why it's brown? Because it's been sitting it in the barrel? It sits in a barrel. Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. I have no idea. Yep. So so we're investing. We moved some stuff around and rebonded the space so that we can have kind of a storage room that we can put barrels in. Um, again, I'm not going to go too deep in the process because I'm going to say something wrong. But well, Matt. We'll get Matt on yeah. yeah, or <laughs> For Jacob. Sure. Or both Jacob. Or both. Yeah. Well, they, and the funny thing is they were childhood best friends growing I up. I know. So they would, they're hilarious together. So they would be a good tandem team. Yeah, I had, I believe it was Algebra 2 with Matt and Jacob. That was when I first started getting to know them. And the teacher used to refer to us collectively as the boys club. Oh, that's awesome. Because uh, we would sit in the back and talk. It was mostly them and I was listening. I was I would chime in. I'm the chime in guy mostly, but fair. Yeah, Jacob and Matt are really cool. I've always liked them. Yeah, have you ever had two people on at once? I haven't, um, and I w- I'm open to it. I'm a little skeptical because it's uh, like I said, I'm the chime in guy for the most part in real life and on the podcast. <laughs> I worry that I would just never have a chance to talk because, well, not really with Matt and Jacob though. They're they're pretty polite. You get some people though that just want to ramble. I mean, it is ramble yeah. by the river, right? And, yeah, and that's fine. I, I want lots of that. I just got to have a little bit of time to throw in a yeah or a uh-huh or, mm-hmm. and, and what else. Fair. Those kind of things. But, Fair. Yeah, but yeah, I, I think once I'm a little more confident, we'll do yeah. three-person shows. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you studied education, and then you took a detour and went into this business, and you ended up back in education in a different way <laughs> as a member of the school board. Right. How did that come about, and was that just because you're a very involved parent, or do you see yourself as more of a community representative? How, how did you end up on the school board? Well, education has always been my passion. I grew up pretty conservative, and education was the thing that I was always pretty liberal about, and believing that public education is a great equalizer in our society, and it is Amen. the thing that gives people, hopefully— 
equitable opportunity. We know that it's not equitable opportunity, but, but we want it to. That's the goal, yeah. right? Um, and so when I left education, my plan was to go back. My plan was to potentially get a degree in social work, or um, it was pretty apparent to me when I had Jaden that I loved the classroom, but it wasn't the place that I could make systemic change in education. Yeah, your hands are kind of tied in that way. Yeah, and, and there's a lot. I mean, as you know, you live it. Teachers are doing so many things other than educating, and it's critical work, but there's a lot of support needed. So my plan was to go get a degree in social work and try and figure out how to be a social worker in the schools, which you know, 15, 17 years ago, wasn't really a thing. It's kind of a thing now. Mm-hmm. And then I got roped into the business and um, always saw myself, you know, it's still my probably deepest love. You know, we hire cohorts of teenagers. We hired, I think, 50 teenagers this summer. No, I think it was 40 who worked for us. So, I mean, I still see that I'm able to do some of that work in more social ways and hopefully in supporting teachers. But um, yeah, I think... You know, once I was out of education, the school board was always a way that I could still be engaged. Um, and I've been on, you know, bond committee or not bond levy committees since that, you know, before I was on the school board and I was a founding member of the Boys and Girls Club. So I think for me, as it's now is in a community role, figuring out how to support our educational system, because I think it is still the most important system that we have. And it is worth everyone investing everything they can in because it is how we as a society grow. It's these humans that we're teaching. I could not agree more. I guess that's that's my answer. I mean, I'd be on the school board forever if I can. I don't know if that's going to be an option, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So how old are your kids now? They are 15 and 17, a freshman and a junior. Wow. I know. Time Getting flies, man. The home stretch. Yeah, don't, don't remind me. <laughs> are you uh, feeling a little... Uh, what is it? Uh, Sentimental. Are you dreading the empty nest years? No, not at all. I mean... You get a lot more free time. Yeah. I, I mean, I think I've loved every stage of life, you know, with its Oh, that's such a challenging thing to hear. Yeah. It's like, it, you know, there's been challenges all along, but I really lean in, I guess, to whatever phase we're in. Um, so th- this year has been hard because I think seeing the boys lose out on a year, a, yeah. kind of a critical year has been hard, and, and us missing out on that as parents. Now I will say I recognize that we've gained so many things and so much opportunity. And, you know, I get to walk into my kids' bedroom at 9, 10 every morning and remind them they've got to wake up and get on Zoom. <laughs> yeah. You know, but... It's um, different. And, and I know that we'll look back and be like, hey, you know, there was a lot of good that came out of that. But, um, you know, Jaden really, hopefully when, you know, things get back to normal, he'll be a senior. So it's like, oh, my gosh, we have one year left. And hopefully things get back to normal yeah. in time. Yeah, exactly. So so I think that um, we're just leaning in, I guess, on, you know, t- taking the time to really. <laughs> I'm cold. Oh, yeah, fair. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? Um, so really trying to figure out, you know, while we're still operating a growing business and doing other things. It's like, hey, we recognize we've got limited time left with the kids in the house. I mean, we're excited Mm -hmm. to also build a lifestyle where it's like encourages them to come back and, you know, have space for them and travel with them, you know. And so that so when you say, are you dreading empty nests? No, but I just know it's going to be different. And and we like to adapt. I mean, we're if you've ever taken Gallup Finder, my uh, my number 34, my weakest strength is consistency because I think I love growth and adaptation. And, you know, I'm a I'm an early adapter when it comes to change. It's like, yeah, let's do it. Me too. Yeah. I've always felt like that too. It's I think that things grow out of chaos. Yeah. 
Like you don't you don't always know what it's going to be, but something will happen. When things fall apart, it's not going to stay that way forever. So you get to have some kind of impact if you can see that happening and kind of pick what you want to happen. Yep. And, you know, leaning in and believing the power of positivity and knowing that you have the ability to help make the positive change. And, and sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's impossible and there's big mountains to climb. But but yeah, we're excited for becoming empty nesters, but also don't want it to happen mm-hmm. anytime too soon. Excited I would... for the good parts and dreading the bad parts yeah. of everything else. I was actually wanted to ask you about opportunity cost. Mm-hmm. So at, I'm 32. I have three kids, a full-time job. I'm trying to do a podcast. I find myself pulled a lot of different directions pretty much every minute of the day. Yep. <laughs> Sleep is something that gets pushed back a lot. Um, exercise doesn't always happen. Uh, pre- taking time to prepare healthy meals doesn't always happen. But at the same time, I kind of have accepted that if I'm going to be a person who produces and who's continuously growing and improving and trying to leave my mark on the world in a positive way, that some things have to, you know, take you have to be able to prioritize and you have to be able to really kind of rank your priorities and figure out where you can give a little and put a little more here. But it makes it feel like I, I look at people who are high achievers and I and I just think like, how do you do that emotionally? And how, like, do you feel any kind of stress or pressure from society or from yourself or from your family when it comes to how you spend your time? And, or are you able to balance everything to where you really feel like you're able to give what you what is needed of you in every different aspect. No. <laughs> I mean, I think uh, it's a daily balance. And some days I feel like, man, I got this. I got up and exercised. I got a good night's sleep. I, you know, ate a salad for lunch. I made sure, you know, and then other days it's literally none of those things happen. But I, I do try and give myself the grace to like start every day over. And I think also kind of seasons of life, right? Like I say right now with the boys being at the age they are and knowing that we have limited time left, I'm like, oh, I would rather make my kids breakfast than go on that run. I'm just going to accept that. That's exactly what I think too. You know? And so, and you know, when they're both in college, I'm going to have so much more time on my hands. I'm going to go to every basketball game. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do everything that I can because I know it's fleeting. Mm -hmm. Now I don't want to totally give up on my health because that's going to, you know. Well, that's not good for them either. No, exactly. So, I mean, I, I think so I do try and balance those things, but maybe sometimes the balance right now is more towards, and we're in the process of opening another property. So we're burning the candle at both ends and that, you know, when we're not making the kids breakfast or watching them, you know, do something else, we're up late, you know, picking out furniture for a new hotel or, you know, uh-huh. answering emails at 1030. And, you know, and we also know we've been through this enough that, you know, in four or five months that'll wane too. So for me, it's literally been a daily balance, and I try really hard to just not not dwell on it. Uh-huh. One thing that I, I, for me, I need six to eight hours of sleep a night. If I get less than six, I'm not productive, and I've just learned this about myself. And, and it's one of the things that I can't let go. It's like a mental thing. I'm like, oh, I only got five and a half hours of sleep. And then the next night, I'm like, I've got to get seven hours of sleep, and then I can't fall asleep because I'm uh-huh. worried about the fact that I'm not sleeping. Yeah. Oh, and that's I'm not such a bad feeling. I know. And I don't get stressed. Like, I, you know, my I, I rarely get stressed. But that's one of the things that stresses me out. It's not getting enough sleep. But other than that, you know, I'm able to really try and give myself. Do you meditate? You know, I don't. My So I will say I've been 
I love to, I haven't been running very much. Um, I'll kind of do some intervals here and there, but um, I've been walking a lot and I walk um, with a really good friend sometimes. And then other times I'll walk by myself. And I feel like that is my meditation time. It is a practice that I really want to get into. I, Mm -hmm. I try and do five to 10 minutes of yoga in the mornings and Mm -hmm. often I don't because I'll get up and grab coffee and start working immediately. But um, I try. Yeah, it's it's really hard to do it consistently. Like I I think of myself as as a meditator, but if I really think about it, I haven't I haven't meditated for five days in a row for years. Like I got it. I, I used to try to do it every day twice. Makes me feel better. That yeah, because yeah. I want to be a meditator, and I just I do ha- I do struggle to turn my brain off. Uh-huh. It's my brain is usually going at a faster pace than I'm capable to keep up with, and so meditation has been hard. I do recognize it would be. So good for me. <laughs> yeah. That insomnia that you were talking about struck a chord with me because that the feeling of when you know you're behind yeah. a, and then that causes your arousal state to come up and you're just like you're it, – it's a threat basically. Right. It's a threat to your health. Yeah. So you get panicked and then especially if you got to get up early and you and you know it uh-huh. and there's going to be people waiting for you so you're, and you're doing the, the sleep math. You're like, if I fall asleep right now, I can get That's this exactly many hours. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, and then you're just like, but I can't fall asleep right now. It's like, oh, that's the bad feeling. Yeah. Um, yeah, I used to get insomnia really bad, but I don't really too much anymore. Uh, now I have it to where I can't stay asleep. Like I, I fall asleep super easily. Like if it's if it's dark outside, I can fall asleep. Um, but then I wake up at like two in the morning and oh. cannot go back to sleep, and that sucks too. But it's not nearly as bad. Yeah, it was actually. The time when I got insomnia the worst was when Jaden went to kindergarten. It was a transition to school, and I love school so much. I think those first couple weeks, I was just so excited. I couldn't yeah. sleep, and then I and then all of a sudden I was like, "Wait, I'm not sleeping." And and so, but since then I've been like, "All right, I try and get eight hours every night, knowing mm-hmm. that if I get six, I'm fine." So I give myself a giant buffer. Yeah. And so if I go to bed a little late, you know, I have my like sleep alarm set. Then it's oh, fine. you use the sleep alarm. I do. That's a cool feature. Yeah. On Apple phones. Yep. It yeah, just gives me a little nudge. It hasn't been successful for me, but because mostly because the time it comes on, um, I'm that's like the only time I get to hang out with my wife. Sure. So it doesn't seem that pressing. At like the sleep alarm can hey get to bed. Like, well, nah. you're an er- you're a super early riser. Yeah. So I have my sleep alarm set for I think it's like eleven fifteen, and then oh yeah, and then like six thirty. That's pretty perfect for yeah. me actually. If if I had nothing going on, I would probably use that exact schedule well because when we had littles it was the same thing i mean it was like work and then kids and then at 8 30 you're like well i'm not going to bed i can finally hang out with you yeah i just got off work yeah (laughs) exactly yeah and uh now they often go to bed after us so Mm -hmm. (laughs) there isn't any of that but yeah. yeah do you think you're gonna ever run for any kind of political office um it's a good question. I mean, you probably know that I was very so I love systems. I love systemic change. I look at how to make the most positive change possible and I believe that government can be a um the, we can make the greatest change through the largest systems, right? So government is a very large system. Right now the short answer is no. I don't think so. I I've since I've gotten deep enough into the system, I've recognized that probably I can make a, the biggest in, impact outside of the system. And the way our system is currently set up, you know, the very like tight two party system, the money in politics doesn't really make for true 
leaders or people who really want to go in and shake things up, which is what I like to do. Bernie. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like it's not designed for that. And, you know, I grew up, I started the Young Republicans Club in high school at Oahu High School, which is now no longer there. You know, I grew up very conservative, but very active. Mm -hmm. Through my 20s, I became pretty progressive and got active in the Democratic Party. And I have so many Democratic friends that I love and I believe in most of the ideals. But, you know, it's a money making system on both sides and I'm pretty yeah. disenfranchised with it. Um, and so it's, I'm in a, in a place right now where I'm trying to reconcile myself with, like, how do you still make change through that system while being disenfranchised in it? I think for me, it's not running through off- for office. It's truly like trying to pick up the people who maybe are less... Um, willing to conform uh-huh. to the system but are willing to make small changes i'm not a, really a small change person which is hard yeah. i like you know big things happening. big things i'm like no we can do this now yeah like why are we waiting it seems like the power structures have shifted a little bit and and it's the just the average person has more power just through the internet yep and you can do a lot of influencing there now i also think local office is critical i think getting put good people in local offices i mean makes such a difference from a community perspective those are the things that we actually that affect our everyday lives yep like you know i don't i'm not affected all that much by whether roe v wade is overturned at the federal level i you're not but there's lots of women that are no i know but (laughs) i'm saying like i care about that just as much even though it doesn't affect me directly right because that's just what we see We, we all follow the federal politics right it seems like more closely than local and what people really need to pay attention to, like school levies and mm-hmm. whether, you know, the roads are being fixed. That's what people care about. Really and what really impacts your yeah. daily life and, and the life of your community. Like if we don't pass a school levy or a school bond and our schools are falling apart, we're not going to grow this vibrant community of humans that is hopefully going to come and continue to increase the benefits to our community. So, yeah. yeah. So, and, you know, by the way, I do support Roe v. Wade. Right. Uh, yeah, fair. I know. <laughs> um, yes. The, but yeah, what you're saying about the community and all that, it seems like the community has grown mm-hmm. and it, in a lot of very good ways. Because when I was a kid, I mean, uh, I was like, I was a kid, I didn't know shit, but I, I thought this community was dying. It really felt like that. And, and you grew up here. I, mm-hmm. I don't know if it was just my own personal experience, but it seemed like all everything was just dwindling like the place you know buildings were falling apart the place seemed kind of run down Mm -hmm. and it doesn't feel like that now it seems like things have really improved and i i really think a lot of it has to do with the economy the peninsula used to kind of shut down after rod run yeah you didn't see people again until spring and now it seems like we kind of have people coming in every weekend we do i think there's a couple things uh from a tourism perspective our season has definitely um, expanded. It used to be, you know, June 15th to Rod Run, and then it was basically a ghost town until then. But I think that for me, tourism and community growth go hand in hand. I think our communities become more vibrant. And I, and I look at that as when I was growing up, you left and you didn't come back. You went, and if you didn't leave, then life was hard. And yeah. so it's been so refreshing, you know, when, so when we decided to come back, it was like, are you okay? Yeah, I mean, we we didn't, you know, we were, t- I was teaching, radio was running insurance. So it was like, oh, that's so cool that they moved back. But there was nobody else that had moved back. And yeah. so it's been so, there are so many young people 
who have decided to come back or to stay here. And they've added vibrancy to our community. And and I think it makes such a difference because now we I can look and I can see people from 20 to 50 who grew up here and who are choosing to live here now. And a yeah. lot of that is advantages of technology and, you know, but... It really has made our community more vibrant, which makes it more accessible and more attractive to tourists. Yeah. You know, so and it'll it'll be a an effect that builds on itself because absolutely young people staying here or coming back here with an education will show future young people that exactly. that's an option. I yeah. didn't really see that a lot. Like you said, if you came back or stayed here, it was seen as almost a failure. Right. And it, it doesn't feel like that now. Nope, it especially doesn't. Especially in the last year. There's when, so many great people yeah, who moved back and here. And you can do a lot more jobs here than you mm-hmm. used to be able to do through you know telecommuting. or I don't even call it that anymore, do they? It's now just Zoom. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's it's been great. And there's there is a lot more young people. I'm going to have Madeline Dickerson on awesome. in a couple of weeks, and I'm going to ask her about her organization, Rethinking Rural. Yep. Are you involved with that at all? Madeline and I are kindred spirits, I guess I would say. So I think we try and get involved in everything each other does, especially from a community perspective. But yeah, so I went on the... It, it is an organization designed for millennials, and I think, you know, I'm not technically a millennial. I'm right on the cusp, but I was invited to their first symposium, and it was fantastic. I mean, Madeline is somebody who— She's a high achiever. She's a high achiever. She's also somebody who should run for office. So she will. Reminder that. I know. <laughs> oh. I hope she doesn't, though, because then I'm going to have to. I don't really want to. Oh, you should. Well, I would only do it just so I can beat her. Oh, I, I hear you. Well, can you run for different offices so we can vote for both of you? Well, I don't actually want to do it. Um, she, hopefully, I'll just win. She can be the runner-up. So after I get impeached, then she'll take over. And oh, okay. Good job. Perfect. Yeah. Sounds like a plan. That's an inside joke. Okay. Shout out, Maddie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I'm excited for you to talk with her about Rethinking Rural and just her vision. I mean, I think one of the things going back to politics that has made me so disenfranchised with the Democratic Party is how much they lack an understanding or even a desire to understand rural America. Yeah. They've basically written off rural America as a bunch of, you know, racist, racist white people. And it, it and it's not helpful. And Or accurate. Or accurate. And, and we're losing. Demo- we, you know, Democrats are losing because of that. I mean, I'm at the point where I can't defend it anymore. I'm like, yeah, you're right. They basically don't care. They don't even try and understand. So my mission currently with my progressive Seattle friends is, hey, how does rural fit into that policy you're trying to figure out? We need people to do that. Yeah. And especially, up, I'm, I'm sure it's, uh, I'm sure there are people doing it, but it, I get the impression from what comes down from Olympia and Seattle that we don't even exist. No. They talk about Willapa Bay as if it's just like a, a it is a wildlife refuge, but it's a, also but a, place it's a working estuary. Live. Yeah. yeah and it's, absolutely. It's, there's aquaculture going on mm-hmm. there. They grow, you know, almost, I mean, what is it, like 30% of, the oysters eaten yeah, in the world. Or absolutely, it's, it's a pretty substantial chunk. I don't, I don't know what those actual numbers are. Yeah, but I bet Brian Sheldon does. He should come on the show and talk about it. He should. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that the lack of understanding of rural and of agriculture and of all of that is is a real challenge politically, and and I, it's not doing the Democratic Party any favors either. No. A lot of it's just for appearances because yeah. there's this stereotype about rural people that that were somehow not as smart or not as educated or not as forward thinking. Or in some ways more privileged. I mean, I've had yeah. a conversation with my progressive friends in Seattle and it's like, no, it's priv- you're more privileged. And, you know, I, I would say that I kind of technically am, but they're not understanding the plight of of rural. They think that the rural people are more privileged? Yes. Oh, it goes both ways. I think the I, rural no, people think that about city no, people No, I, I agree too. And I, I, I agree with 
you know, that I think... Privilege is tricky to tease apart. Privilege is tricky. Uh, I don't know. Most, but it's real. It is very real. Yeah. Yeah. But it's not quite as black and white as, as people like to think. White privilege is a very real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I first heard that term, I was in college, and it was kind of mind-blowing. And I, I really liked it because it's just like... It made me feel for the first time like, hey, maybe I don't have it so rough. Right. <laughs> it was like It was nice to stop having a pity party. Yeah. Um, just because I grew up kind of poor, yeah. uh, but not nearly as poor as other people. You know, people had it much worse. And I had kind of a chip on my shoulder about people with money for yeah. absolutely no reason. They didn't do anything wrong. Sure. Like, they, uh, yeah, it's 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 kind of a weird mindset to have, but it, it just developed out of seeing people with entitlement, I think. Sure. And people who acted like they deserved more for no reason. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of a lot of people who don't understand just what's different than them just get a chip on their shoulder about what they don't understand. Yeah. So people from those, you know, urban places see people with lots of open property and big, mm-hmm. big houses and like two cars in the driveway. And they think, oh, those people are privileged. But really, it's because stuff's half half the price out here. So right. Things, yeah. It's way cheaper. You can't you have to drive three times as far to go to the grocery store. Yep. Like there's give or take. And it, it, yeah, it just it works both ways. No, I agree. I mean, and I think it's the hard thing about politics right now is there's so much division and lack of attempt to understand other people. There's just so much information to process. Yeah, that's true. It's, I mean, you you could spend your entire day just reading all day and still be pretty foggy on most things in politics right now because it's we're oversaturated. Like, yeah, information processing is just. There's so much to consider. It's it's tricky. And so we, we rely on these kind of rational thinking strategies to try to make sense of things. And there are things like stereotypes, things that are shortcuts to making decisions that can lead you down bad roads. But, well, not finding accurate information. Yeah, and confirmation bias. Yep, absolutely. Looking for things to confirm your existing opinion and ignoring counter evidence. Yep. And the internet is facilitating that through these echo chambers. Yeah, in insane ways. I mean, and, and dinner table conversation is a thing of the past. I don't, I don't, okay, it's always been awkward, politics and religion, religion and all these yeah. topics that I love to talk about. Me um, too. <laughs> we talk about it at our dinner table all yeah, the time. so do we. <laughs> but it's, now it's gotten to where people ha- are identifying with their ideas, like this idea is me. If you don't right. like my idea, you don't like me. You don't me. like me. And yeah. that is just not healthy. It's, yeah. it's, and it's not necessary. We don't really have to do that. No, we don't. If we could separate ourselves from our ideas, it becomes much easier to be wrong. We want to make progress, right? So do we make progress by deciding to hate a human because of an idea or attempting to have a conversation and learn together? And yeah. I mean, if you look at history, progress isn't made by hating each other. No, it's made by identifying yourself in another person. Yep. Okay, so we may disagree on this crucial thing, but... How did they get to that opinion? Right. What is different about their life versus my life that makes them think that way when I think this way? Instead of being like, oh, well, they think that, so they're different than me. They're out. I'm in. They're them. We're us. Yeah. It's just not good. Agreed. What else you got for me? I'm going to pull out my list. You're pretty good at making segues and just keeping it going. I'm impressed. Thank you. Thank you. I like talking. It, it, It comes naturally. I mean, I like having a conversation. Oh, yeah. So we've talked about Adrift, and we talked about your some of your other business ventures. Last year, or maybe two years ago now, 
me and Melissa stayed at a shore yeah. in Seaside. And that place is really great, too. It's almost like it's a spinoff of a drift because mm-hmm. it's not like a drift exactly, but it's similar enough to be like on brand. Yeah. Do you plan to expand that further? For us, everything's happened pretty organically. I don't think we actually did a mission vision values thing with Kelly Rupp and Bev Arnaldi a few years back. And oh, I love Kelly Rupp. Oh, they're the coolest humans. They make they're, they're such awesome a big people. impact on our community. I should get Kelly Rupp on the podcast. You I'm going to make a should, note about that. For sure. I just roped him into doing some strategic planning work for the school district, so I'll rope him into your podcast if you that need help. That would be great. He's got a great voice, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, he, he does. good on the mic. That's actually one of the things I was nervous about, was I don't love hearing my own voice, so that's fine. I don't love mine either. Also, well, I have braces, so they make a noise all the time. I'm very <laughs> self-conscious about it. So, Ashore. So, basically, you know, it's all kind of been, I say organic, but it's always like Brady's brain-haired ideas, right? Uh-huh. You know, and so um, I think we have a lot of fun doing what we do. And if we're not, you know, at the point we don't enjoy it any longer, I don't think we'll keep growing. So in that mission, vision, values exercise, one of the things we identified was we don't have a goal. We don't have a like, you know, we're going to grow to X number of properties or X number of rooms or X number of dollars. It's about finding a kind of a need in a community and trying to see if we can fit it and grow in that community in in an authentic way. And so I think while we can, we do. I mean, maybe it won't be hotels. I don't know. Brady's talked about opening a rain gear company. I don't know. Oh, cool. I mean, in like he has new ideas all the time. Uh But right now we're taking a cannery building right next to Bowie Beer. It's a kind of a group project with some of the guys that are investors um, that are investors in Bowie and then other investors, and we're opening a forty room hotel that it should open in June. Oh, cool! And so if you drive in Astoria, it's the building to the east of Bowie. So it's a really fun project because it's a. Do you have a name for that one yet? Bolin Hotel. Oh, like the nice. knot. Yeah. Got it. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah. yeah. So, but it's very different. So when you talk about brand, one of the other things we've identified is we don't want to. We don't want you to walk into one of our properties and be able to, from a visual perspective, identify that, oh, this isn't a drift property. We Mm -hmm. want you to be able to feel the community and the, you know, the other ways that it feels like it's in a drift property. So the Shelburne's a good example, the cottages. So we just took over the the property that Brady's parents moved here for. We just took that over. Oh, by the Neptune Theater? By the theater. So we took that over in February and, and are... Now helping them retire, you know, we're buying it from them on a contract so that they can retire. They've been in Mexico for a month and a half. So we want it to be kind of this experience. It's not about what it looks like. That's the way it felt uh, at that place. That's great. Because like I said, you could tell that it was a similar vibe. Like the the fonts were similar, like just the overall aesthetic. But it didn't feel like you picked up a drift and moved it to Seaside. It felt like it was very native and organic and just like... It, it fit very well. And that's the goal, for sure. I mean, we want the property to fit the place, that's not cool. fit the brand. I mean, uh-huh. in a aesthetic perspective. Yeah, that's that's a trend I'm noticing with the way you talk about your businesses is that it's not a profit-driven thing. No. Like you're, you're trying to incorporate your own identity and the parts of your business that you love into the community and yeah. to where it really fits and it becomes entrenched and rooted. And I think a lot of businesses don't really think so much about that. They just think of, like, where can we extract profits? Right. And, I mean, and I think 
it's we're not so altruistic to be like, hey, we don't need to make money because we need to make money to stay open. But making money is great. Yeah, and but the the running joke in the office is I would probably choose to run a nonprofit business. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd run our business like a nonprofit, um, and so I think I do have that perspective. It's like always weighing the the social environmental costs with the you know, with the actual profit costs. And so making sure that we're trying to, you know, strike that balance. And many times we fail. I mean, I was telling a couple of our managers the other day, when an employee isn't a good fit, I have often taken that as like a personal failure. And I think that comes from my teaching days. Uh-huh. Like if a kid is failing, it's my fault, not the kid's fault. Right. So, um, so I think, you know, again, there's a lot of failure there, but it's a constant learning opportunity, right? How it can we do better? Like you kind of, um, really put a lot of your heart into your job. Yeah. Are you a micromanager or are you more of a hands-off type of person? <laughs> or, or somewhere in the middle? Depends on who you ask and oh. depends on the day. <laughs> so my uh, my nickname as a kid was Radar. My mm. parents would always joke that I heard every conversation that was happening. And I kind of run my business like that. And so I try not to micromanage. I'm like a big systems person. But if I'm in the office and somebody's talking about a pretty small issue in one of the departments... I have a hard time not chiming in. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to give my I want to give my thoughts and opinion, and I'm sure if, if as our employees listen to this, they'll all, all as my managers listen to this, this they'll all laugh. I try really hard to not subvert the chain of command. Uh-huh. You know, like so if some if an employee comes to me, I'm always redirecting them to their manager or to HR, which is Brooke. So I'm good at that. I but when a management team member is having a conversation about something, I. I feel the liberty to give my opinion pretty mm-hmm. broadly. I think you're probably entitled to that. Yeah. Sometimes I pull the trump card. What's the trump card? I mean, just, hey, I'm, I'm the owner. I'm the I, I get to have an opinion. Not not like, I really try and not lay down the hammer and say this is how it has to be. Unless mm-hmm. it's a personnel, like, unless it's a personnel issue and I feel like we're erring on the side of not being good, not being kind humans or not giving someone too many chances. Like, uh-huh. I... I want to give everybody a million chances. Yeah, but um, it's not fair to the people who are trying if you're given too many chances. Correct. You and so I'm trying to get better at that, and I have gotten better at that, and staff is getting better at giving me pushback and being like, no, here's the evidence, and this it's is why. It's a hard thing to do. It is. It's, it's impossible. Like I said, I feel it's a personal failure. How do you do with conflict? I've had to learn. So I don't mind conflict in general. Like, I love having As political... As authority, yeah, how, how do you deal with so conflict? So that's where I struggle. I often try to be... To get around conflict, especially when it comes to humans in situations that are going to be impactful on their life. I have no problem arguing a point, you know, philosophically or debate. debate. Yeah, like I can be. But, you know, if this is really going to impact somebody's life and especially from a position of authority, if it's going to impact somebody's life and we're making that decision, I I struggle. It's hard. Mm -hmm. I imagine you've had to fire people. I have. I avoid it at all costs. Yeah, you can ask Brooke about that. Sometimes, oh, yeah, that's her sometimes job now, huh? people are like, oh, "Just let us let this happen." But I have had to, and it's been really hard. And a lot of those people, though, you know, they're still a, and there haven't been a lot of those people. Like I said, our first employee still works for us. Mm-hmm. I've tried to f- figure out ways to reconcile relationships, either at that moment or in the future, or you know, offer to find better fits for them, or you know, yeah, because very rarely is it a cut and dried situation. Yeah, it's hard, especially because you're going to see those people at the store. Yeah. Uh, they're going to be around. They're going to listen to the podcast and be like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's hard. It's a, lot to, it's a lot to think about if you are 
in a per- position of authority. Yeah. I have to deal with that, especially in a small town. It's the kind of the the hardest part of the job for me is letting people down. Have you ever hired a friend and thought it was going to be great and then it wasn't great? No. The friends that I've hired that I've known were going to be great have been great. See, I have It is your skill to find the good people. <laughs> it is. It is. Like I seek them out. Mm-hmm. Um but I've hired friends before that I've been concerned about fit and the fit has been hard. Mhm. Yeah. You know, so I think that's where and and we ma- we made it work. It's never been a relationship ruining thing, but you know, we're in a small town and we're we have over 100 employees. We're going to hire people we know. Yeah. You know, and that's a reality of the situation. I mean, we have we're going to hire couples. We're you know, that like they're just it's not as easy as like a giant business in a giant city where you yeah, can have all of on. these HR practices and you're like you don't work for, you know, we've you know, we have messy situations and we've tried to create HR policies that deal with them typically after the <laughs> after we've had to deal with one but mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean for the most part again that's where the learning is pretty constant when it comes to i would say human relationships you know mm-hmm. hr can get a bad rap because it's just all about policy and, and at a drift we really try and make hr about the people yeah it's human resources yeah exactly it's like how to, and and brooks great at that but how how do you make sure that you're advocating for the human, for the employee. Yeah, while still keeping the priorities of the business. Right, or to the other employees. To your point, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's like one human and we're trying as hard as we can to put as much into that person as possible. And you've got, you know, a dozen other employees that are like, but this is making our job harder. And yeah. so how do you then, those are the s- situations that are so tough to manage. Keep it from becoming a morale issue. Yeah, absolutely. And I've failed I'm getting, I'm better, but also I'm extracted from those issues a lot, you know, because I manage the high-level management team now. Mm-hmm. But I've, that's where I've failed before is, you know, not sticking up for all of the people that are working their ass off and trying yeah. to make it work with one person. Has owning a restaurant made you a different patron? When you go to other restaurants, do you think differently about the way that they're doing things? Are you judgy? No. So... We love to eat out. We love live music. It's the best. We, I mean, it's so much fun, right? So I would say it's made me more patient, uh-huh. um, less judgy. Although I'm always paying attention. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm never like fully able to relax. Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, they're overstaffed or they're understaffed. You know, we need to be really nice because our server is working our ass off. You know, like whatever it is. You're picking up on the behind the scenes. Stuff. Yeah, um, yeah. So, but it hasn't ruined the experience. At yeah, all. it'd be hard to ruin that. That's a good experience. Yeah, it is. I love eating out. It's pretty yeah. much my favorite thing to do. Yeah. COVID has been hard. hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's nice that restaurants are doing takeout still. Yeah. Because I've always felt so guilty about spending money at restaurants, and I no longer do. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's pretty easy to be like, well, no, I'm we're going to support the economy. Absolutely. Help, help the community. I'm going to eat a delicious That's burger. That's great. Yeah. Thanks. It's nice. Yeah, it is nice. Yeah, I, I used to listen to podcasts every day, like pretty much all day. Until I started one. And, and now, now you don't listen to him at all? I, I have a harder time. It, like, if I do, it's a lot more of, uh, like, technical exercise. I, like, listen to the sound quality and um, how long their pauses are between their sentences and w- who's talking too much. Like, it's just different. Yeah, I can't imagine, actually, you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't get to enjoy it as just a consumer as sure. much as I used to. So I, I have always thought that would probably happen in any business. Yeah. It definitely changes your perspective. 
Oh, yeah. So you mentioned that you were involved in uh, something about a community center. And oh. I did not know what you're talking about. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about that, but it sounds like something interesting. Yeah. When did I mention that? Today. Oh. You, but we can... You know, no, no. It abso- no, anything. absolutely. It's... Uh... It's in its it's in its infancy stages, so I would just say happy to talk about it, but don't hold me to anything. Okay. Um, but this is actually a good a good time to kind of start getting it publicly out there. So I think there's been conversations since I've basically moved back, and I'm sure, you know, when I was a kid, there were conversations around the need for a community center and what that means is different to everybody. But I got really engaged in it when um, I was on the founding board of the Boys and Girls Club. Coastal Alliance for Youth, really based around the need for an after-school program. When I was teaching at Hilltop, I forget the name of the entity that got a 21st century grant that had a after-school program at Hilltop. Peninsula Learns? Peninsula Learns, yeah. Yeah, There you go. Good job. Um, And so then that grant went away, so the program went away. So then there was kind of a community understanding of, hey, we need to have a sustainable after-school program. So uh, enter... Co- uh, Coastal Alliance for Youth, which then decided to become a Boys and Girls Club, and which ran successfully for 10 years. Really, Did off. they close down? They did close down. They closed down in the fall of 2019. Um, I left the board in 2018. And you fell apart right away. No, no, not at all. <laughs> but um, my, so I don't have as much intimate knowledge as to, but I think it had to do with funding drying up. And it, I mean, it's expensive to fund and it's hard. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it is like really community based. So for 10 years, our community funded that program, which is pretty phenomenal. I imagine insurance is hard for something like that. Yeah. You know what? I don't know. But I'm sure it is. But we were granted space from the high school um, or the program was. And always knowing that that was probably temporary because it was basically the when I was in school there, it was a junior high wing. I'm not sure. Okay, And so the school population shrunk enough to where that junior high wing was unused. And so the Boys and Girls Club ran from there. So they closed fall of 2019 with the intention of reopening. And I think they're still working on what that plan looks like. Um, But the space has gone away. The high school has ended up reusing that space. That is not where the community center conversation starts. But that's where kind of I started with it. And I think that's going to play a big I think whatever after school program that Coastal Alliance for Youth comes up with will play a big part in this community center. And this is where I pause because I don't want to under or overrepresent the situation. But basically, with um, Dylan Harrell's passing, passing, Jeff and Casey really realize that one of the legacies they want to leave for Dylan to the community is a community center. And so I think that there's a group that's come together with Peninsula Youth Sports that's kind of leading the charge around trying to design a community center that would um, be housed at the Port of Iwako. We're pretty close to a letter of intent with the Port of Iwako to lock up this. Hopefully, none of this is done, so I'm trying to be, you know, but hopefully lock up the space north of the parking lot, um, kind of by, I think it's like where Time Enough Books is, or it's basically where my sister-in-law lives, where Jessica lives, but right, right there, a large parking lot space that will hopefully have a field house, a gym or two gyms cool. and potentially a community pool. Oh, wow. Yeah. That would so be fantastic. That's the, so we're, um, I think the, the next step is that Dylan's foundation is going to raise money for a feasibility study that will really not talk about whether or not the community needs this. Cause I think as a kid growing up here, it's pretty obvious. It's obvious that it's needed, but more, 
how to sustain it long term and what yeah. that looks like. Is there any way to get that uh, old lady money that left all the pool money? Verna Aller? Yeah. There are active discussions around hopefully that being part of the funding package to build I, the pool. I know they dumped some of that into the Astoria Aquatic Center. Yeah. They, it, it's a... My understanding is it's an endowment that has grown. I mean, I've heard you know a lot about stocks. No, nah, I wouldn't say that. But, but you're I, dabbling. A little bit, yeah. yeah. So, you know, over the last decade has Market grown. has been doing pretty has well. been positive. So I think there's still some funds there. So we're trying to figure out what the intention of those are and work with the endowment to potentially use that as a, as a funding source. I actually, the meeting that I was on this morning um, was... About the community center, which was why I was late. <laughs> oh, that you weren't so, late. So, yeah, it, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, that's really great news. I'm excited yeah. about that. So it's you know hopefully a place that kids of all ages can feel safe and. If have you fun. are able to get this done, and I have a feeling you will, because you tend to get stuff done, it will be amazing. Because they've talked about it my yeah. entire life. There's yeah. always been talks of putting in a community center and, and a pool separately yeah. or together. Or together, or, yeah. yeah. So I, any way I can help, let me know. Well, I will. That, that's really Heard cool. and writing your name down. Yeah. Happy to the be The podcast can get the word out. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone who wants to be on the podcast to advertise something like that that helps community, definitely get a hold of me because that's what this is for. Yeah. Yeah. It's really exciting. Well, that's, that's great. So are you – and how did you – I imagine people just asked you to get involved because of your – success in that kind of thing well i'm on the board of peninsula youth sports um there was a couple of us that i don't know five years ago recognized a lot of you've been involved in youth sports Mm -hmm. a lot of the youth sports were very siloed you know you had you had people running baseball you had people running basketball they didn't talk to each other and also it was really hard to find somebody to pass it on to when your Uh kid aged out and so we got together and we're like hey we need a board so that this becomes easier so we successfully started that board my kids have not been involved in youth sports for really since that started, but I'm still on the board of that. So um, Jeff, and then I'm we're good friends with Jeff and Casey, and Casey's my walking partner, so she and I walk together all the time. So it's just kind of organic conversations. And, um, and then we have a lot of experience in building and facilities with the hotels. So, you know, Brady's actually kind of drawn out a, a sketch cool. um, about the community center. And so, yeah, that's how we got involved. Just, oh, that's I'm, awesome. <clears throat> it's, yeah, it's exciting to, have... to be. Good to have friends who are movers and shakers. Yeah. You can actually improve your community just by having good ideas. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Yeah, I'm sure you've been in the bakery lately. They made some very positive changes in there. Yeah. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan, too. I'm probably too big of a fan, actually. I go in there a lot. I order sandwiches online. Oh, they do it online? They do online ordering, and you can pick them up with... In a half hour. Wow. I didn't even so realize So it's a go-to that. lunch option. I go in there at like 5 in the morning to, to miss the traffic. I don't <laughs> want to have to stand in line too long. Fair. Well, if you but, order online, you don't have to stand in line either. That's that's pretty cool. I might have to try that one. Yeah. I, I never even consider the fact that those kind of apps work around here. Like the, right. <laughs> like, can you actually pull out a phone and get an Uber on the peninsula? I don't know. I don't think I so. I doubt it. Uh, but. I think there was one that dabbled a while back and, you know, but I don't, I don't think it's active. Yeah, that's one of the downsides of rural, rural living, living mm-hmm. is that we are a little slow on some of the technology yeah. stuff. Yeah, and sometimes that's nice because I yeah. think once it starts, it's well, – then it's, you got a bunch of Uber, Ubers driving around and – yeah. There are yeah. definitely some positives to that, too. Yeah. At least we have cell phone service now. Uh, what, I mean, most just, of the time. Yeah. Well, I mean, not here in this room, <laughs> but most of the places you go. Yeah. I mean, even just five years ago, it was a lot, lot worse. I, oh, when I yeah. Was in, when I was in high school, you couldn't – there was 
the dead dead zone. zones everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Basically, from Ocean Park to Long Beach, Long Beach. Couldn't, couldn't yeah. make a phone call. You want to talk about parenting? Sure. I funnest job in the world. Yeah, it really is. I'm I'm a big fan. Me it too. seems like you care a lot about your job as a mom. Yeah. And it seems like you put a lot of energy into that. Yeah. What do you think are the hardest parts and where do you struggle? Yeah, I think I struggle with patience, especially as they've grown up. You know, higher expectations. Yeah, higher expectations. And I'm less patient with just my tone of voice. And I sometimes see that in my kids. I'm not a patient human in general, but I see my impatience sometimes come through in my kids. And I'm like, oh, shit, that was me. Oh, that you was... see yourself in them? Yeah. Oh, yeah it was like, you talk too. to your brother like that because I just talk to you like that. You know, mm-hmm. so I think that that's probably my biggest struggle is, you know, sometimes just taking a deep breath and like not barking the command. Like, yeah. unload your dishwasher. Yesterday morning, Amelia, who is almost three, walked up to me and she said, Dad, you left the fucking toilet seat out. <laughs> And I said, what? And she repeated herself. And uh, yeah, I didn't miss here. So I was like, yeah, you heard that somewhere. Right. Somebody Somebody said that. (laughs) It's not my fault that my dog won't drink out of a regular bowl. (laughs) It's our only source of fresh water. Yeah, fair. Uh, Kids are like little sponges. Oh, they are. Yeah. I mean, we all are, really. But kids, it's incredible how fast something can go from like something they heard to something they They, are yeah absolutely it's really really kind of crazy what kind of areas do you really shine as a mom i think i we've really tried to build a place where not only our kids want to be but other kids want to be and um i think we've been pretty successful in that and your your home our home yeah is it the cool house it's the cool house oh that's awesome i mean all the kids probably wouldn't admit it but they're all there all the time. Yeah, that's how you know. So, um, although I apparently I need to up my snack game. Oh, don't do that. Mm. You'll go from being the cool house to being the destroyed house. Every, right. Everyone yeah. will just destroy your house. Yeah, fair. Yeah. I've been told organic cereal is not something my children won't eat anymore because they don't want it in the house because their friends tease them. Oh, okay. So well, I, I've got to start getting Lucky Charms. Yeah, Lucky Charms are pretty good. I know. I'm... Do you eat Lucky Charms? No. Oh, you'll have to try Gross. They're not gross. They're delicious, <laughs> but they're not good for you. No. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I think we're successful in that. Also, I think in you know motivating our kids in whatever, having high expectations. Seems like they've really got good heads on their shoulders. Yeah, I mean, I'm proud of them. You know, I, I I often think it's you know whatever it's it's them and but they're they're good kids. I mean, they've with all of their struggles, they've figured out how to stay motivated through COVID. They both have straight A's. They both have goals awesome. and. Do either of them know what they want to be when they grow up? Jaden wants to go into the world of sports. He decided that when he was a freshman. We've always focused on college as, you know, this is academics. You know, sports are for fun and you're going to love them and you're going to make great memories. But last year, I think he said that we were having a conversation about him playing college basketball and not last year, his his freshman year. And I was like... Think focus on academics. You know, if you end up playing college ball, that's great, but that's not what college is about. And he said, Mom, I want to work in sports and I need to play college ball in order to like feel like I'm legitimate in that. And I was yeah. like, All right, well, if that's your goal, I guess, you know. Does he want to be in sports medicine or No, I think he's like more interested in coaching. Okay. Um or 
I think potentially the business side of sports. I think that he doesn't know. I think he um, there's a degree now called sports management mm-hmm. that you can get, and so I think that's probably if he had to pick right now, what he's most interested in getting. It seems like there's a lot more opportunity in the yeah. sports field. Field, it's broad. Than, yeah, than there right? used to be. I mean, he could be you know a sports agent, and there's it's a it's a big world, and I think that you know my hope is that whatever they choose, it'll make them happy, mm-hmm. and they'll figure out a way to make a positive impact on those around them. And I think we preach that regularly. And so, you know, whatever that is, um, Beckett got really into surfing. Oh, cool. Uh, they both surf because Brady's a subsurfer. Um, but Beckett got really into What's surfing. What's a subsurfer? Uh, stand-up paddle. Oh, so rather okay. than the push-up, mm-hmm. um, the boys tease him. It's the old man version of surfing, but he's pretty good at it. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so they've... They both surfed a little bit over the pandemic, but, you know, Jaden, when everything shut down, started, he would, he had a workout regimen where he would work out for two hours a day and then go shoot hoops at the Long Beach Park for two hours a day. So he's been pretty focused on... Oh, he must be getting good. He is getting really good. You mentioned that he was in a showcase this weekend. Uh, Were they able to get him out of there? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. He's in a showcase tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning. So, yeah. So he's heading up. He's got to leave at six tomorrow. Oh, wow. And drive himself. Do they wear masks when they play? Is that what they have to do? They, um, I think with, the, this is not WIAA mm. um, sanctioned. So I, I think what he'll do is they'll wear, you know, they wear masks while they're in the gym, but not while they're playing. Oh, okay. Yeah, that seems really hard yeah. to play basketball with a mask on. They have been, because they're now able to get in the gym and run um, with their school program. Um, just like open gym style. They can't coach or anything, but they've been wearing masks and it's likely what they're going to do this uh-huh. season. And so, they, I mean, I think the kids are like, do what you got to do. Well, yeah, we'd rather wear masks and play than. Yeah, a football helmet's really uncomfortable when you right. first put it on. But you're going <laughs> to do it. So um, Beckett, I think, is a little more like he's, I mean, he's a freshman. So he's yeah, in a different, different situation, right? So he wants to, right now, he wants to go to a college where he can surf. Mm-hmm. So California. Yep. <laughs> They've That's, got some good ones. Yeah. Lots of, them, lots of them, actually. Yeah, they do. And my dad graduated from Linfield, which is close to Pacific City. So Jaden's kind of interested in Linfield. So we'll cool. see. Maybe. Is that a private school? It is. Yeah. Is it yeah. a religious private school? I don't think a... so. Okay. But maybe. Now, where did you go to college? Uh, Seattle Pacific University. Oh, another private school. Is a private Very religious nice school. school. Yeah. Um, so were you guys religious growing up? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Oh, you mentioned the Republican. I mentioned you, or I, I met you in youth group when you were a little oh, really? tyke and your mom was, yeah, you and uh-huh. your brother were running around and your mom was helping yeah. with youth group. That's funny. I did not know uh, that. Fair. Up at the, the church on the hill? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have a lot of good memories in that place. Yeah. It's a cool, it's a cool church still, actually. There's, there's, it's a different church now, yeah. but with a different pastor, but yeah. they're great too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My mom was pretty involved with youth group and yep. church music and all that it was yeah. pretty fun um so that did that determine your choice for colleges or was it just a happened to be a lucky... no i mean I, I was pretty religious when i left for college um uh really the choice of spu brady's two older brothers had um gone to spu and we dated in high school we actually broke up a couple times our senior year but then when we left for college we were like we're you know we need to go find different options but we both ended up at SBU it ended up for me being because it was the best school for education in the state mm-hmm. um, they have a really strong education program or they did at the time I'm not sure if they still do and sure so still do. Um, so that was I wanted to, I wanted to go to school in a city 
because I grew up here. But I didn't want to go to a big school. I wanted to have the small town feel on campus. And then I wanted to go into elementary education. And I knew that. So that was the choice of SPU. Probably subliminally, it had to do with the fact that Brady was also going there. But I told myself at the time that that wasn't it. And his uh-huh. two older brothers had graduated from SPU. So you'd been hearing about the school for yeah, a while. Exactly. And, yeah, exactly. Both their wives had graduated from SPU. So yeah. Mm-hmm. And we had a phenomenal experience. And our closest friends are still some of the college friends that we went to school with. We get together with them regularly. and That's cool. Yeah. I just had a question. I was trying not to forget it while you were talking. It's okay. I forgot it. Fair. Yeah. It probably wasn't that important. No, probably You went not. to Western, right? I did, yeah. Western it's a good Washington. School. Yeah, it, it was a really good experience. I had, yeah. I had a great time there. I Honestly, I didn't do a whole lot of research on what was a good school and what wasn't. I just didn't. It just wasn't in my head at the time sure like i i it, i didn't have people ahead of me who were right. going to college and uh my my older sister went to college briefly uh, actually forgot i'm not supposed to talk about her anymore um so i will take that out but um <laughs> i did say i was listening to last week in the podcast with you and your brother uh-huh. and then i had like 30 minutes left and i called brooke i was like did that have to get taken down yeah sorry about that i got to finish it though okay it's back good. up yeah I- it's it's it was a mess. Sure. I just, it, I'm still new at this. I'm still getting it figured out. <laughs> and really, I just, I'm trying to take it moment by moment and figure out, make sure I'm just on the right track. Yeah. Because I don't know where I'm going. I don't want to do anything that's going to lead me down a path that Makes I don't want to go. Yeah. yeah. Fair. And so far, it's been good. And I judge what's going on a lot by people's feedback. Yeah. And it's been overwhelmingly positive. And that's great. I wasn't prepared for negative, and I got just a Fair. little bit, but it came from a person whose opinion I value a lot. Yeah. And so it just it fucked with me. It got, got in my head and made me question my compass, and I, I, I just didn't want to hurt anybody. Yeah, or, You know, make anybody sucks. feel embarrassed or, I don't know, I just felt bad. Yeah. And so I pulled it, and then people were like, why'd you do that? Yeah. It was really not that bad. And, no, um, it wasn't. It was great. Um, so I put it back up there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, I, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or anything like that. But it's it's going to happen sometimes because people have different feelings. Like, right. Not everyone's going to agree. Or uh, I, I am a person who tries really hard not to be offended, even yeah. when I'm owed that. Like yep. somebody definitely said something offensive to me. Um, it feels good to me to be able to be like, eh, whatever. They didn't. They weren't thinking or thick skin or yeah. It, it's a good feeling. Yeah, it makes, absolutely. It's, it's a it's a power. Like it's, yeah. it's to to not be affected by someone else. Yep. And not everyone's like that. Some people are are the exact opposite, where they're looking for reasons to be mad. It's yeah. Like, I think anger is a very negative emotion. It's a it's something I don't like to experience. I agree. So I look for opportunities to not to be not angry. be angry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's pretty simple to me. Not everyone's like that. Yeah. So I have to try to just. I'm going to post them and then not pick up my phone again for a few days, like which is what I did last weekend. So after I pulled those two episodes, I just didn't. Two episodes? I actually pulled two. Oh, okay. Which other one? The one where I, I – the first one wasn't really that big of a deal. It was like – it was a solo one. Okay. Was, like I, I made fun of my dad for falling down sleepwalking. and It hurt his feelings and okay. I felt bad. And it, it probably didn't even hurt his feelings that bad. But just sure. like I'm, – I'm really still adjusting to this whole thing and – my family is, I'm realizing, going to be along for the ride. Yeah. Um, and my immediate family, like my actual wife and kids, 
they're fine. Like sure. they're involved and they've been with me through the whole process. They were out here painting with me. Mm-hmm. They're like, they, the first things I recorded are their voices. Like they were involved from the beginning. They're intimately involved. Yeah. Yeah. But my family, like my mom and dad and Jake and my sisters and their families, none of them were along for the ride. So they're kind of just like roped in, but just by me talking about them. Right. And so I needed to be a little more sensitive of that. I mean, I think that's one of the things I've been surprised at how much I've enjoyed listening to your podcast because I I listen to like Newsy podcasts or Andrew Yang speaks. It's always like productivity, right? You know, like I'm trying. uh, Yeah, me too. Uh, He wasn't my favorite during the campaign, but I've grown to really love him because he's an outside thinker. I don't want him to be the president. Yeah. um, But I want him to be in the in the cabinet. In the cabinet. Exactly. Yeah. So um, but I've just really enjoyed the authenticity in your podcast with I mean, and it's people you know or you know of and. It's real, you know. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's been it's been great to listen to, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised at how many locals listen to it. Yeah, uh, because I when I first started this, I remember my mom asking me specifically, "So you're making are you this is like going to be for locals, right?" And I was like, "Oh no, definitely <laughs> not. Hopefully they never find it because <laughs> I I just in my head couldn't I couldn't come up with a way that." It wouldn't be just awkward. Not because I, I thought, I, honestly, I thought it would be harder to get locals to like it. Got it. Just because I had it in my head that I had to be this guy who people around here knew, was, which is just kind of a boring dude. And I was like, that's not the same guy I'm going to have on the show. So I don't want to cause people cognitive dissonance <laughs> when they're like, wait, this is Jeff? Has he been bullshitting me all along? But I haven't. I'm just like, you have to be one person when you're operating in the world as an adult. Yeah. Uh, you, you fall into this identity, and it's an easy one that people can consume. And, and yep. you know, I don't ruffle feathers. I don't talk about my political views much. It's just like kind of a boring. I wouldn't say I thought you were boring, but I did say to Brooke, I was like, I'm surprised at how funny he is because we have been around each other sometimes. And I mean, yeah. I've laughed out loud multiple times at the podcast. I don't think I've ever done that in I, person until I, today. See, just hearing you say that makes me so happy. I really just want to make people laugh. That's yeah. what I love to do the most. It's been great. Um, and I always have since I was a really little kid. That feeling of getting a laugh is just like <laughs> nothing better, especially when you say something that. It, it it could upset people. Sure. Oh God, because when those fall flat, it, it's, there's no worse feeling. Very very bad. It, it's easy to do too because you can't really get the the good kill or joke without a little risk. And right. so you have to figure out where that line is, and it's not the same for everybody. No. So sometimes those things fall flat. Yeah, it's and that's a hard one, but I, I I'm enjoying that whole process. And also, it's like saying that I'm trying to I'm trying to make jokes on here. Like a lot of the things sure. are, are intentionally supposed to be a little bit goofy or or whatever. It's it makes it it gives you some leeway with yeah. uh, with content because if it were just strictly an interview show and real NPR voice the right. whole time, and uh, it would be I would still love that because I, I like all that stuff too. I listen sure. to those shows and I enjoy them. Um, but then if you threw a random penis joke in there people would be like oh my goodness yeah so it's it's i like to have a little mix well and it's unexpected right i think that's one of the reasons i like it because i'm like i don't know what i'm gonna expect am i gonna hear a poop story or am i gonna you know who knows (laughs) (laughs) yeah i like to have a little both and the the mix episode to episode has been really cool too yeah because it's it's really focused on the guest 
So yeah. whatever the guest is into is what we end up talking about. And it's fun because yeah. I'm, I'm getting to know people that I wouldn't have gotten to sit down and talk with otherwise. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it is really cool. It's been a, a good learning experience, and I hope I, I hope it continues to grow. Just from new enterprise, not even enterprise, that's a little presumptuous of me, but from starting on a new venture, it, it was cool to have you come on the show because you have done that so many times now. And it's interesting because most of them seem to be successful, but I, I may have not even heard about any of the failures because... They didn't. They didn't go. Did you? Do you have things in your past that you tried and didn't work? Yeah. So um, I'm trying to remember. So we started a cafe with my brother called Akari Cafe. I remember that one okay. too. Okay. And I mean, failure is a hard word because I think that every failure, quote unquote failure, leads to learning, and so it's a process. But I think that <laughs> from probably typical standards, it really never made money, and none of us wanted to continue doing it. You know, and mm-hmm. so I think um, learned a lot about operating a restaurant and about working intimately with family in that scenario. Hasn't stopped us from working intimately with family, but it definitely helps us to find boundaries. Um, that would probably be the the biggest like defined failure. How I, long did you have that place open? Um, let's see, it's so funny that I define things in like age my kids were. I remember it was like when Beckett was old enough to walk, but. He sometimes was still on my back. So it was probably 2008 to 2010, maybe two years. Okay. Maybe a little bit longer. Somewhere in there. Um, So that was one. And then the rest of them are like micro failures within, Mm -hmm. you know, a business. I think that whether it's failure of like human capital, right? Like we're not helping people reach their highest potential or truly a failure of a business model. I mean, another Example of that is when we so when we opened Adrift, we were locked into the lease with the lightship at the time, and the people who own the lightship really didn't want to improve the lightship. Yeah, it was obvious, <laughs> and it was quite a, there was quite a quite a cognitive dis- disconnect with the the new you know trendy Adrift and then the lightship. Yeah. And oh, I bet that was a hard sell. It was hard. So we still we tried to have conversations, you know, and and I think we probably could have been better with our tact, but we ended up having to buy them out of their lease. And we really had no desire to run a restaurant at all. We had failed at oh, Akari. Oh, you just wanted the hotel. We right? just wanted the hotel. Okay. Yeah. So so then we, at that point, um, had to buy them out of their lease. And then we tried to find business partners. We tried to find somebody that would be more brand aligned, but still would run the restaurant. So we found this couple out of McMinnville that ran a great Italian restaurant called Nick's Italian Cafe. They were going to, you know, own both or run both. And it was super fun. Well, they decided to name the restaurants Capesce, hmm. which is an Italian word for pickled fish. Oh, okay. Hence the, we teased ourselves when we renamed the restaurant. But Scapesce is spelled S-C-A-P-E-C-E. And it was, the menu was fancy. It was totally a place that I would like to go to, but it was not a place that people were excited. They couldn't, you know, if you can't pronounce the name of a restaurant, you probably don't want to eat there. Yeah. So it was pretty apparent through that summer that we had not um, not done what needed to be done. And so we sat down with them and we're like, hey, look, we need to rename it. We need to have chowder. We need to have fish and chips. Mm-hmm. We can still have fancy food, but... People who come to the beach need, you know, they're looking for clam chowder and fish and chips. And they were like, well, we can't put our name on that. And we were like, so we were left with the restaurant in our lap that we renamed Pickled Fish. Less Um, bougie. Less bougie. Yep, exactly. So Jamela Lucas um, Mm -hmm. of the Ark 
we were talking with her about it and she made a joke that we should call it pickled fish because we were like, this isn't working. What do we do? And she was like, call it pickled fish. Make fun of yourself. is the one who came up with that name. Yeah. Like out of a joke. And we were like, oh, great idea. And she had her hand in restaurant stuff everywhere. So many things. Yeah. She was the first lesbian I ever met. Really? Yeah. Wow. She did uh, Kids Feeding Kids was a yeah, program. Yeah, yeah, I remember. School. I remember hearing about it. I wasn't a part of it. It when was, I was at awesome. Park. So they yeah. they took our entire, I think it was first grade, entire first grade class to the Ark Restaurant, That's and we so got cool. to. It was everything was cranberries. They picked like each class did a yeah. specific vegetable or plant, and it, Betty Arn was my teacher. Yep. And yeah, we went to the Ark Restaurant, and I I made cranberry butter, and it was really fun. So awesome. Jamella was. Uh, Really cool, like yeah. very down to earth. Also, she was like four feet yeah. tall, so like <laughs> yeah. easy to talk to. It was it was a really good experience. Jamela and Nancy have had a huge impact in my life in business. I mean, my mom worked for um, for them for a summer when she was you know in her early twenties, I think, and um, and then I worked for Jamela and Nancy after my after I graduated college before I got my teaching job. And at the Ark? At the Ark, oh, yeah. Okay. My mom worked there. Yeah. My sister also worked there. It was one cool. of her first jobs. And then when we got in the restaurant business, um, again, they just kind of started helping. And I think that our you know, perspective on business and community and how to intersect the two were uh-huh. very similar. And so Jamela helped us like figure out a seed program with Farmer Fred and you know she they they were just huge mentors in our in our careers. Wow, that yeah. really makes a lot of sense cuz you I sensed some of that like the that energy that Nancy and Jamila mm-hmm. had for like loving the business, loving the industry and loving the community. Mm-hmm. It it shows that it's like trickled through and and it's the same kind of energy I see in your businesses. Yeah, I mean it shows the impact people can have on future generations, yeah, right? You know, it does. they really yeah, the are a arc, big part of our story. The Ark has fallen into some disrepair. It's a run, little bit. run by cats. I now. was going to say, yeah, run by cats. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, a, it's a sad story. But Mean cats. Yeah, I imagine so. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of them. There's like 40 cats living yeah. in that restaurant. It's weird, I, too, if you look. I mean, it's been a couple of years, but looking through the windows um, a few years ago, there's still like dishes and stuff in there. It was the same. Yeah. yeah, it was a little bit. Eerie. Eerie. Yeah. Eerie is the right word. I mean, I, yeah, when, when I, it has been a few years, but I was just like, wow, mm-hmm. the bakery looks the same. Yeah. Different There's still era. equipment in there. Yeah. It's, it's very strange. Yeah. Yeah. That was, all, that was, I w- was going to make that place my first job. I was like a chubby 14 year old and I, I was like, yeah, it's time. And I was super nervous too. So I like, I got the application and I was, I lived in off. So when my parents split up when I was 13, okay. my mom took me and Jake and my two sisters, and we lived in a little, basically mother-in-law apartment off of the back of a friend of the family's house. Uh, so we were all living basically in a little one-bedroom apartment. And it was just right down the road from the Ark. So okay. my sister got a job there, and she had worked there for a year. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to give it a shot. And I had worked as, as, since as forever. Um, just doing firewood and lawns and stuff like that, but I had never had a real job, so I was really, really nervous. nervous. So nervous, the kind of nervous where you're like not sure if you're gonna puke or shit mm-hmm. your pants, mm-hmm. like super nervous. And so you know, I put on my band clothes, <laughs> so I had my black slacks yeah. and my my white. You knew what to shirt. wear. Oh yeah, and I had my application all filled out, and I took it, and I was I was gonna walk out to the ark and go turn it in, and I so. There's people who don't live around here won't know this, but there are gigantic mountains of oyster, oyster shells, shells yeah. all over the North Peninsula, mostly in Nakata and Oysterville, but also even like in the woods from who knows who. You'll sometimes randomly walk up 
if you're hiking, you'll find a giant pile of oyster shells. Uh, so I, the, the biggest one was like right behind my house, directly in between the Ark restaurant and my home. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, hell, I'll just you go over the oyster shell pile. <laughs> And uh, they tumble a little bit when you walk on them. So I'm in my like slippery band shoes. (laughs) And I um, see it already. (laughs) Yeah. I'm all sweaty and nervous. And I crest the hill. And as I'm coming down, they all just start tumbling out from beneath my feet. feet. And I just biffed it and just rolled down this whole thing. It was like 20 feet down to the ground. And it ripped my pants. And I was covered in stinky oyster water. And for some reason that didn't click in my head, like, you should probably go home, bro. Go change your clothes. Um, Come back later. These were my nicest clothes. Right. I, I'm not you gonna, didn't have more. Yeah. I was like, I'm not going to go put on something less fancy to go. Th- I'm just going to do it. So I went in there and I was all shaky and my thing was all ripped and I turned it in. And <laughs> they didn't hire me. Yeah, I bet not. Yeah. I ended up working at Jack's and it was great. <laughs> but Good story. I always think of that when I think about the arc. You know, Nancy Maine would be another person to have on here. Oh, yeah. She, she would, would be, be great. phenomenal. Great community builder. Yeah. What does yeah. she do now? Does she still have a restaurant? Nope. She's, I think, retired. And, but yeah. I think, Jamela passed away a couple years yeah, ago, Yeah, right? she passed away of esophageal cancer. Oh, bummer. Yeah. 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 They had that place off of the the highway there by the Nancy and Jamela's yeah. Market Cafe. Yeah. I never got to try it. Oh, it was awesome. Really? Yeah. We When the kids were in Ocean Park, we would, you know, every once in a while drop them off or or if they were in preschool we'd like go grab lunch after preschool it was uh you know kind of i think beckett and i had kind of a weekly lunch there after preschool while we were waiting for his brother that's cool yeah it always struck me as one of those places where if i walked in people would look at me like what are you doing here (laughs) um what locals only sure yeah yeah Um, which are usually the best places they are like the ones that if you're not from the town you you don't even think to go there but then once you do you're like oh my god this is a hidden gem those are my favorite spots. Agreed. All right. Well, it has been an hour and 50 minutes. Yeah. And that's usually where we start winding down. No, my, um, my butt's starting to hurt from sitting yeah, so long. Yeah, I got to get some new chairs in yeah. here. These things are, <laughs> uh, as you can see, everything in here was either free or very cheap. It looks great. You've done an <laughs> awesome job. Uh, but yeah, let's let's wrap it up. And I just wanted to thank you for being willing to come out, out and talk to me and it's been um, fun. Thank you. Yeah, you and your whole organization. You guys are, are a blessing to this place. So Well, it's a blessing to us. Yeah, thanks for doing it, and thanks for being on the Ramble. Yeah, thank you. All right, guys, have a good one. And please don't forget to subscribe to Ramble by the River on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and most major podcast platforms. This is Robot Jeff for Ramble by the River, signing off. Be good to each other out there. I'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. You proved to me yeah. that rising to the top was my destiny. Yeah. And you can see whatever from behind me, but I'm still fly. I'm still fly. I know. I'm still fly. I'm still fly. Let's go.
chest now. Say it with your chest now. Uh, yeah.